I'm grateful. I'm so, so, so grateful from that moment of me being depressed because I can see, I always said there's a light at the end of the tunnel and I could never see it until December 7th. everyone, Emily Abadi here. You are listening to a special week of content here on Hurdle called Running Through. With Global Running Day on Wednesday, June 1st, it's only fitting that we wrap up season nine and celebrate all week by bringing five back-to-back episodes to the feed. You guys, you know the deal. Here on the show, I am dedicated to bringing hurdlers content that encompasses all that is wellness. Still, running holds a really special place in my heart. While I originally leaned into running as a weight loss tool back in college, it has turned into a passion of mine, helping me personally get through a ton of difficult hurdle moments and 10 marathons later become a happier, healthier version of myself. This week, I am talking with other inspiring women who have also turned to running during some of life's biggest, darkest hurdles. We get vulnerable talking about tough topics like loss and grief, depression and postpartum depression, and how running and sport has helped them persevere, rediscover their self-worth, and move forward with their head held high. For today's episode, I am chatting with Tara Davis. She is a professional track and field athlete, a long jumper. And as of yesterday, the big announcement that we talk about in today's episode, she is now a global Lululemon ambassador. So excited about this episode, specifically because you may recognize Tara because let's just say it for what it is. She blew up after the 2020 Olympic trials, thanks to her fiery personality and her go-getter attitude and on-camera shenanigans. Since then, she has been having a blast making content with her now fiancé and fellow Global Lululemon ambassador, Hunter Woodhall. Today, she's on the podcast solo, something that I don't believe she has done just yet. Usually, her and Hunter, a dynamic duo. So amped to have her here to get personal, to talk about her journey and hers alone, navigating everything from the pressures that go hand in hand with going after your big Olympic dreams for her that involved navigating a bout of depression and what it was like for her to navigate both long distance and the pandemic finishing college, going to the Olympics all at the same time. Really, really grateful that Tara decided to get vulnerable with us. And this combo is one not to be missed. Before we dive in, I have to give a huge, huge thanks to my sponsor for this week of content. And that sponsor is Tracksmith. Tracksmith, as you may know, is a brand for runners inspired by a deep love for the sport. They craft incredible gear for training, racing, and rest days and create experiences that make running more rewarding, more connected, and more meaningful. Their summer collection features pieces designed for running in the heat as well as staples for your vacation adventures. From their silky smooth twilight styles that seem to disappear while you're running to comfortable short tights that can carry all of your long run fuel. These are staples that will work 
as hard as you do. Explore their collections and stories at tracksmith.com and use the code HURDLE22 for free shipping. Now, this is really special to me. Tracksmith is working with me to support an organization that I feel passionately about, especially after the awful massacre last week in Ovalde, Texas at Rob Elementary. And that organization is every town. For every order that is purchased on tracksmith.com using the code HURDLE22, Tracksmith will donate 5% of all sales to every town. Now, for those of you who don't know, every town is an organization that advocates for gun control and against gun violence. So grateful to Tracksmith for partnering with me on this. And again, that code for anyone to do some good and get free shipping over on tracksmith.com is hurdle22. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over on the socials. It's at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Tara Davis. She is a professional track and field athlete, a long jumper, an Olympian. How are you doing today, Tara? I am good. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to have you. You have nothing going on right now, like absolutely nothing. (laughs) You must be so bored. (laughs) So far from it. (laughs) So far from it. Well, we're recording this before a very big week for you, but it's coming out after you make a major announcement. So do you want to share what your news is with us to kickstart our combo? Absolutely. Um, So in track and field, I'm a professional athlete and um, my fiance and I just signed with Lululemon. Um, We are now world ambassadors for the Lululemon team. And we are just so excited to be on board and be with the team and see where it takes us. See where it takes us. Congratulations. I need Thank like an applause, like MP3 to put into it. Yes. <laughs> to put into the to podcast here. That's so exciting. So exciting. And such a big moment, especially, you know, being a professional athlete. So many costs that come hand in hand with that. And we'll get into your backstory a little bit, but it's expensive to navigate on your own. Oh, yeah. Very expensive. And at, before we, I went professional, some track meets I had to pay my own way to get to. And just recently, we paid our way to go to California and paid for the hotel and paid for the flight and paid for everything about, um, going on. I was like, wow, this sport is really, really expensive, it, especially if you don't have any sponsors around. You know, there's so many track meets around the world, but you, you have to travel to them. And you're not staying there just for one day. You're staying there for multiple days. And then on top of eating and training and, you know, just doing all of that, just recovery and massages and, you know, it's expensive and not having someone to support you can really just like make the sport not fun for anyone or for the person, you know? Um, So I'm so, so, so grateful that um, Hunter and I have this cool sponsorship that, you know, supports us and supports not only what we do on the track, but what we do off the track as well. Yeah, super, super awesome. And obviously, we're throwing Hunter's name into the mix here. If you have been living under a rock and you don't know Tara's fiance, his name is Hunter Woodhall. He is also 
and Olympian. Give us some context into what it's like to be in a relationship with someone who is as obscenely competitive as involved in sport as you are. It's honestly such a fun journey because we you know we do the same exact thing and not the same event, but the same sport. And we both know how tiring and what track and field is and like having someone who like can get it, if that makes sense, like get what we're going through. It's so much easier. And so um, I think it's better to have you know, my significant other being the same sport because one day I'm having a bad day, but I don't have to explain to him why I'm having a bad day or a bad practice. He already just knows. And yeah. um, same for him. Like I know he's had a really hard workout. We probably don't want to go, you know, walk around the mall for two and a half hours. And like, I, I just, we get it. We get each other. We get like what's going on. It's just a lot easier. And it's, it's super interesting to me. I mean, you yourself, you're a ball of energy. You're so fiery, but <laughs> you even said at the top of this episode, like Hunter and I got signed to Lululemon. And before I sat down with you today, I was like looking for just Tara Davis interviews and like, there aren't a lot of them. So <laughs> together you get to do a lot, but I personally selfishly am excited to have you here on your own today. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> it's fun doing things together, but it's also fun doing things like separately. It's kind of like throws back to like when, you know, we weren't together and what we used to do not together. So you've been together for a while now. Um, talk to us a little bit before we get into more of your Olympic journey, which is what I really do want to talk about today. Talk to us about what it was like meeting him. You started dating and got exclusive pretty fast right before college. So give us some context there. Yeah. So Hunter and I met um, when we were both 17. He was actually turning 18 that day. Um, we were in Simplot. At Simplot Games, which is in Pocatello, Idaho. Um, and it's just an indoor track, super small. And he was running a race and I saw him and I was like, oh, wow, he's pretty cute. And I went up onto the track as he finished his race. I don't know why, but I just had a feeling that I had to hug him and give him a hug. And I went up to him. I was like, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm giving you a hug. And then that was like pretty much it for that track me. And then we followed each other on social media and began talking on there and then you know it just kind of took off and at first like we knew we, we liked each other but it wasn't like exclusive like we're not telling each other we like each other and then I don't know someone we posted a picture together and someone's like oh my gosh you guys would be such a cute couple and we're like we should pretend that we're dating but like pretend but actually start dating so <laughs> we just played along with everyone and we're like actually like, I really like you and he's like I really like you and then you know, just started dating and then college came around, immediately went to long distance, which was not fun, but it made our relationship our relationship. Um, so we did long distance for four years, all of college, um, up until August where I moved in with him in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Wow. Wow. Also of note, which we haven't covered yet, is that Hunter is a Paralympian. So yes. he is working with two prosthetic legs. When you guys started dating, was that even something that you thought about or you were just so taken by him that was never like in the equation for you? Yeah, I get this question and like, I kind of just didn't even, it didn't phase me. I was more focused on him himself and his personality and just his like aura himself. And 
I didn't even, it wasn't even a thought. And I don't know, it, it's still not a thought. I, I kind of forget that, it, you know, he doesn't have two feetsies like everyone else, but it's, it's cool. And it makes him him. Has that been challenging for the both of you at times? No, only when he wants me to go do stuff for him. <laughs> <laughs> you to get out of bed at first and I'm like no you get out of bed <laughs> <laughs> you figure it out yeah oh my god oh my god well okay so you guys met super young dated all of college and during this time you transfer schools you start at one university end up at University of Texas and you're both training at this like next level yeah. That must in uh, in itself for you have been certainly challenging navigating all of the emotions that go hand in hand with trying to be a full-time student, a full-time athlete and also in a long-distance relationship. And then trying to have a social life as well. And it's just like a lot of things piling on top of each other, you know, trying to and then trying to figure out what adult life is or what, you know, how to live a life um without parents or without someone telling you what to do when you know, it's, it was hard um, trying to navigate through all of it. And it, I mean, I got through it. It wasn't easy, um, but I got through it. And uh, with the help of my fiance, Hunter, he knew what I was going through and I knew what he was going through. So we could relate on that and, you know, help each other throughout those, you know, hard times. Then as you are navigating all of this, what year do you graduate college? I graduated in 2021. I went to the Olympics while I was still in college and I was doing assignments in Tokyo. Oh my gosh. And like navigating a global pandemic. So that's really where I want to go with this. I want to talk to you about that experience because I'm sure a stress, uh, anxiety, unlike any other navigating all of that during so much uncertainty in our world. So where were you when things got shut down? I was actually at my house um, in my apartment. My teammates had just left to nationals. Um, so I was a little upset because I couldn't go with them because I didn't make the team. Um, I was like, dang, like I really wish I got to go. And then all of a sudden um, the my group chat, of uh, the team like starts blowing up and they're like, why are we going home? What's going on? Like, we just got here. They're telling us the nationals is shut down, no fans allowed. And it was like, everything was a bit confusing. And I was like sitting at home, like what the heck is going on? Hunter called me telling me that he was on the flight. And um, I guess their the president of their school said no, no travel for athletes. And they had just landed in New Mexico. And he calls me, he's like, I have no idea what's going on. Like, I think we're about to go home. And I was like, what? Like, you just got there. So long story short, Hunter ends up coming to Austin. And they get back to Fayetteville. Everyone comes back home and Hunter books it to Austin. We thought he was going to stay for like a week or two. He ends up staying for six months. And like, we just lived together for six months. And it was like, at first, it was a little terrifying because I didn't know where track was going. I didn't know how the Olympics were going to go. I didn't know anything because everything was just shut down. No one knew anything. But then realization set in, like, track's over for the year. Track is done. There's no. There's not going to be the Olympics. And I think Hunter and I took full advantage of this moment and just lived a normal life. 
while everything wasn't normal. Um, we got to be together. We got to just enjoy each other's time and just, I would say, learn more about each other than we ever learned before because we were in one space for longer than 24 hours together. And I personally enjoyed COVID because of that reason, because I got to, you know, track has always been in my life since I was four years old and it finally wasn't. And it was a weird transition. It was weird change, but it was so cool. I had no responsibilities. I had nothing to, you know, go do at 1230 in the afternoon. I didn't have to go practice and stuff. So um, I found myself. I found like what I like to do. I had to think about if track was taken away, what other hobbies would I like to do? And we filmed a lot of YouTube videos. We filmed so many things. We got to have one-on-one time with each other and, you know, just live life like a normal couple would. What else did you learn about yourself when you say, I got to really learn who Tara was? Who is Tara without track and field? I, that's a really big question because at the time I was like, just doing stuff that I wouldn't have been doing, you know, like staying up until 4am watching Netflix or, you know, like I didn't know I could grab all of this food in such like a short amount of time. And just like, I didn't see, I was always focused on track and not on the bigger world. I didn't know there was all of these, like, what did we do? We did almost everything. We went to the Creek. We went to play with my dog. I trained my dog, taught so many tricks to him. And like, it was just, I want to say I found myself, but I don't know how to say like what I found within myself, but it was just another chapter of life where track wasn't involved. And it's really interesting to hear you talk about this because I think the flip side of that coin can be when you don't have your sport, whether it's because of injury or in this case, a global pandemic Mm -hmm. and so much anxiety and confusion sets in and you really start to struggle with your identity, but you kind of had like the adverse experience. Yeah. And I knew that, I I mean, track was going to be there next year, you know, and I knew it was going to come back and I knew whatever happens that I, I can still just go to the track and train and do whatever I would like to do, but not having to was so cool. Like not being forced to do something, if that makes sense. And um, I just, I got to sleep in and I got to like not have my body in pain 24 seven. And I feel like it was really a reset for my mind and for my body. Um, I don't think I would have made the Olympic team in 2020 at all. Interesting. Talk a little bit about that. I just mentally wasn't ready to be on that stage and physically nowhere near. Yeah, I just don't think I would have made the team. I don't think I would have been in the position where I was the next following year. When you go to the Olympic trials, you have a standout appearance, I would say. (laughs) And it feels as though, and please correct me if you perceived otherwise, but after the Olympic trials, everyone knew Tara Davis's name. So talk to me about what that experience was like for you and how that felt. It felt so good. Um, in high school, I was pretty elite in track and field and I was, you know, famous in the high school world and everyone knew my name and, but in track, not, you know, in just social life. And it, it kind of reminded me like, this is where you're supposed to be. This is what you want to be. This is, you know, this is what you've worked so, so, so hard for. And um, 
having my name recognized and people recognizing me and just knowing that what I did on the track is showing and what I do off the track is being, you know, recognized and all of my hard work, I was dedicated for so long and it's finally paying off. And um, every time I get recognized, I feel, you know, humbled and it shows that what I'm doing is really working. And it feels good to be reminded that all my hard work is being paid off from just like this short amount of time on the runway or on the track. Of course, with that level of attention also comes a lot of opinions. I don't need to tell you this. You also have something like 350,000 Instagram followers. How has navigating that been for you? It was really difficult at first. Um, you know, the negative comments stick out more than the positive comments. And I get hundreds and hundreds of positive comments, but that one negative really sticks out like a sore thumb. And um, I learned to brush it off. But at first I was like, why are these people talking like this? I, I've never done anything to them. They're, they don't even know what they're talking about. They're assuming that like when I was transferring, they assumed that I I was the problem and I was just being dramatic. And that's not true. Like no one understood like behind the scenes. And I think that's where I finally came to recognitions. Like they're not seeing what's going on behind the scenes. They can only see what they, I put on social media or what other people say. And so um, it took some getting used to and it's still getting, I still, you know, fall under the comments and try to come back and fight back. But at the end of the day, that person's just sitting on the couch, not doing anything, just watching a 23-year-old living their life. Do you want to shed some light on the transfer for us? Mm -hmm. When I went to University of Georgia, um, I went from 2017 to December 2018. Um, Once I transferred, my coach blocked me, and he said that I was too good of an athlete to compete against his girls. And what blocked means is I couldn't compete with any team for the next season at all. So it doesn't matter if it was like an SEC school or a Big 12 school, it's any school in the D1, you know, championship, NCAA D1. Um, And that was hard because I couldn't understand why an adult was blocking someone. How is that legal? Like, how does that work? You know, I can't tell you all the legalities of everything, but I know that it's wrong. I know it's wrong because if that coach wanted to leave a school and go coach somewhere else, he could do it fine. No, right, like no deductions, no um, blocking, no nothing. He can go do it. But for an athlete, someone whose career that you're hindering, that's not fair just because of your own opinion. And I didn't understand that. And, you know, I still don't understand it. I still don't know how it's legal, um, but I, I hope it changes. So, you know, kids can really live out their career and their dreams. It's I'm like, not everyone's going to get along and it, that's just the way life is. And I don't think that there should be someone blocking someone for doing that and not doing that. Yeah. I, I'm, I giggled a little bit silently to myself before when you were like, and sometimes I say something back because I feel like, was it yesterday on my Twitter feed or two days ago? <laughs> You like literally said to someone, sorry, I'm annoying you. They said I'm annoying. I'm the most annoying track athlete. And I'm like, how? 
I don't like, what, what did I do to you? I don't think I've ever in the talked same to you. breath, in the same breath, you also said everyone is entitled to their own opinion. So you tried to come at it from a place of grace. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's true, like everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but like I'm sorry that I'm annoying you, but I'm just gonna continue to do what I do. 23 years old so like beyond your years already and like so many years ahead of you and certainly young in the sport. So it's really cool to see you stepping into your power, both as an athlete and as a woman. Uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the fact that you're also a black athlete. And over the last couple of years, there have been a lot of conversations surrounding race and diversity uh, within sports and beyond sports. For you as a Black woman, how does it feel to represent for so many perhaps younger athletes that look up to you and see you and then in turn can see themselves perhaps yeah. going after the things that excite them? You know, it's crazy because I was... I'm going to go off topic a little bit, but it kind of relates to the story. When I was watching the election, I saw Kamala Harris on my screen. I was like, wow, there's a colored woman in the office on my screen. The biggest thing that any woman, any person can be at, and she's there. And I just started bawling my eyes out because I didn't see that growing up. And I didn't see, you know, a person of color, you know, running the nation at all. I didn't think that was ever going to be possible before Barack Obama and then a woman being a vice president. And I just bawled my eyes out because I know for my kids, my kids are going to be African-American. And I know that there's going to be their color on the screen. And I feel like for me, I'm doing the same thing. I don't even realize it. And it's so cool that, you know, young women look up to me and tell me that I've inspired them. I'm like, wow, like, that's so insane. And like when everyone comes up to me, like it, I am inspiring them and I, I'm doing something that I love, but I'm also showing everyone else that they can do it too. I think uh, a saying that I heard last week was in order to be her, sometimes you need to see her. So mm -hmm. it's like to see people that look like you doing things that you want to do. Sometimes that's the unlock to go after the potential that you already had. It's already inside of you, but sometimes we need to see, especially as women, other women going after and pursuing the things that excite them so that we can channel that excitement within us. Going back to the Olympics, you said that you weren't exactly sure if you would have made it before this extra year, so mm -hmm. to speak. Mm -hmm. Talk us through the actual experience and making that team and the prep that happened for you between the Olympic trials and let's call it game day. Yeah, it was a lot of overwhelming, but it was so exciting, but it was very overwhelming because there's so much publicity, but I loved it at the same time. And I wanted to, you know, focus on the games as another track meet. I didn't want to wrap my head around it being the Olympics. Because I was 22 years old, like still trying to figure out like how the heck I even got here. And like this was my main dream. This was my main goal. Like since I was four years old was to make the Olympic team. And I knew if I went to the meet that it was the Olympics that I probably wouldn't have done as, you know, as well as I did. Because I was going to be so wrapped up around, you know, the rings and the Olympics and everyone there. And like this is the biggest stage of your entire life. Like you've got to do well. Like no. 
you can do well while having fun. But I just wanted to like embrace all of it and just treat it as another track meet, treat it as like, this is something that you do all the time. And this doesn't, if you fail or you win, it, it doesn't define you because you're still mm-hmm. the athlete that you are. You're an Olympian. And I don't know, I just went in like, go for it. Just go fun, go have fun. You know, you've made it this far, just go do you. And I did. It was so much fun. Yeah. So, I mean, six in the world isn't bad. (laughs) (laughs) And to your point saying like, whether you do good or you don't do good at the end of the day, you're still an Olympian and you still have the opportunity to learn from that experience. Again, going back to being wise beyond your years, I would say that's pretty exemplary (laughs) of that statement there. Beyond that experience and showing up for quote unquote, just another track meet, there still was a hell of a lot of preparation that went into this. So you said before, kind of jokingly, like it was nice for my body not to hurt every single day. Did you feel like you were really just like kind of pushing it to the max in the weeks and months leading up to the Olympics? Yeah, I had a stress fracture in my hip. I had a strained hamstring. I had a broken foot all all before the Olympics. And at the trials, I had a fracture in my hip and it was painful. So, so, so painful. And I, I remember like hitting my hip like this, like the entire time just to like stop hurting. Like, like, let's not do this right now. And I was talking to my competitors. I was like, dang, my hip hurts. Like, I don't know. Like I was like limping. And, but as soon as I started jumping, you know, it kind of just went away until I would sit back down. I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) Um, But I mean, it's all worth it at the end. And I don't think any athlete has ever competed freshly healthy like there's always something hurting us you know yeah firstly how is your hip now it's good now it's just my knee (laughs) now it's now it's just another ailment and then secondly talk to me about the mental game that goes with that because it's not like normal that you can just combat that sort of pain clearly there's some work that goes hand in hand with that are you working with anyone to kind of get to that next level for mental performance for the sports psychology side of things? Or is this just an acquired skill that you've come to this place of positive self-talk? Yeah. um, I mean, in college, I was talking to a therapist, which really helped. Um, But towards the end, I stopped talking because it was during school. Um, So, I mean, I used some of the coping mechanisms and everything that she's had taught me and brought it to the trials and to the Olympics. But it's almost as like a second nature of like, pushing pain out of your head and it's kind of like kind of toxic if you think about it because you're like forcing your body to go through this pain when it's not supposed to but at the same time it's kind of cool how our brain works that like if you put your mind to something it can happen and I tell myself okay yeah you're going through this pain but we're going to keep on pushing because we want to make this team or we want to keep on pushing because we want to do well it seems as though the way that you're framing it, that pushing seemed to work in your favor, but throughout your athletic career, did pushing ever get you to a place that you were worse off than where you were before? Absolutely. And that was two years, a year before the Olympic trials where I was super, super, super depressed. And I was just being forced to show up to practice every day. And if I didn't show up, I would get in trouble. And it was like, how can I balance all of that? Like, I can't even get out of bed, but I'm forcing myself to get out of bed to go to practice. And I would show up to practice literally like in a hoodie and sweatshirts on a 90 degree day because I didn't want to do anything. But I would just go out there and 
kind of like half-ass everything. And that part was not healthy. That was not what I was supposed to be doing. I should have just stayed at home and, you know, took that mental day to recoup. But every day I had to get up and do it. And so it kept on like, boom, like hitting me and hitting me and hitting me. And I finally just like one day just like completely didn't show up to practice and broke completely. And I think after a couple of weeks from that day, I kind of changed my mindset of like, this is my choice. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose to not feel this way. And it was hard and I did it, but it was so, so, so difficult because it took months, almost a year and a half to even get to that point. Do you mind talking us through a little bit more of what that pinnacle hurdle moment, I'm not going to show up today day was like for you? And I ask you that because so many individuals listening to this they hear you say, I was definitely depressed when you reflect on that time. And they too may be either struggling with depression or wondering if they're navigating something similar right now. So would you mind just talking a little bit about that? So that day was the day I set for myself that I think it was like December 8th or December 7th, where if I am not happy, I was quitting track. And I made a pros and cons list of all the reasons why it was good for me to quit track and why it wasn't good for me to quit track. And of course the cons outweighed the pros of me quitting track. And it was like, okay, I put it into writing that like, if I quit track, I'm not gonna have the life that I wanna live. And so it all kind of like started like coming together and I was like, you know what? This is my choice and I love track so much. I don't know what I'm gonna do without it. And I just have to put all of my eggs into this basket and just trust the process that it's going to turn out well. And it was really, really hard. And I had so many conversations with my dad, had so many conversations with my coach about it. And at some point they just said, it's up to you. Like whatever you do, we're going to support you. And I was like, I will feel so guilty if I give up all of my talent that I know I have. Mm. Like, I'm not going to be able to live with myself if I do that. And I worked my butt off since I was four years old to get to this point. Why would I just throw it away? And it was a huge mind shift. Um, and it was very difficult where, you know, days where I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to run track. No, I'm not going to run track. I don't want to do this. I want to live my own life. And back and forth, back and forth all the time. And I just came to the conclusion. I was like, try it. Just try it. If you can do like just one day, go to practice happy and see what happens. Go to practice and put all your effort into it and see what comes out of it. And from that day, practice was not the same. Practice, I was on 10 at every practice. I listened to my coach on every cue and everything that he said to me. And that's when my life just started, you know, escalating and it's becoming what it is now. I'm grateful. I'm so, so, so grateful from that moment of me being depressed because I can see, I always said there's a light at the end of the tunnel and I could never see it until December 7th. So, so profound and such a great thing that you shared that with us. Anyone can go through that. 
uh, obviously you had your unique experience, but what I mean by that is that depression happens to all different sorts of people, Mm -hmm. right? And it comes in different ways. It shows in different forms. Exactly. Different forms, different experiences, different reasons for both people that may be attached and not attached in your relationship. How did this manifest for the two of you? It was more Hunter was always there supporting me no matter what time of the day. It doesn't matter where he was. He would always pick up the phone. And I think that was like the most crucial thing in my you know depression stage is him picking up the phone because it could have been me just calling saying, hey, but it was also me just bawling my eyes out, like basically saying, help me. Like, I don't know what to do. Help me. And he was there, even though he was in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I was in Austin, Texas, eight and a half hour drive. He was there. And I can't thank him enough. And I've always said this, like he saved my life, literally. And um, if it wasn't for him and for, you know, my other supporters in my life, I don't think I would have been here. Why did you choose long jump? Um, My dad was my head or my dad was a coach of a team um, in Texas. And my sister was doing long jump for the track team. And I was four years old. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to (laughs) go jump and play in the sand. Um, And ever since then, I've fallen in love with it and it's always been like my main niche. I've done triple jump. I've done hurdles. I've done sprinting, but nothing compares to the feeling of flying, literally flying in the air. And it's so technical and it just, you know, makes my brain work and I love it. Did you have a come down after the Olympic games that maybe rivaled how you had dealt with depression in the past? There is definitely a post-Olympic depression, definitely, because you work your life, like you work so hard your entire life to get to this one moment, and that moment finally came, and you're like, okay, well, what's next? Like, my dream was to just make the Olympic team. It wasn't to win. It wasn't to, you know, medal or do any of the other stuff. It was just to make the Olympics, and I never made a goal besides make the Olympic team because I was so, you know, I feel like young, and didn't really understand that, like, yeah, you want to, we want to win, but I just want to be an Olympian, you know? And so afterwards, I was like, well, I'm an Olympian. What's next? Like, what else is there to do? And it took a while for me to, like, make new goals for myself because I was super confused on where I'm supposed to be. He said, like, just graduated college. I'm an Olympian. Now I live with my fiance okay, like I've done life, you know, like I did everything that everyone asked me to do. I, mm-hmm. I did what I asked myself to do. So what's next? And um, I think us, you know, living together kind of made new goals for ourselves, you know, like now we're getting married and then we found new hobbies um, with real estate and stuff. And just like a new life has emerged and new goals have emerged. And now I'm like setting myself up for bigger That word supposed can be really tricky, right? Feeling like we should do X or Y. Mm -hmm. Are you willing, aside from you hinted at the real estate stuff, to talk to us about what some of your big, scary, audacious goals are right now? Yeah, I mean, of course, with some track and field, um, you know, making the world championship team and um, not just this championship team, but the next one and then the Olympics, that's 
those are my track goals. But um, life goal, just like learning more about myself and learning like how this world works. And with our new sponsor, they're letting us like they're very big on diversity and community driven goals. And I'm really excited to work with Lululemon and be able to find a niche that I like. I love special ed kids. I love teaching special education. And, you know, that was a dream of mine. And it kind of got pushed back because track was so, like, full force in my face. I went to school for um, special education and I was going to be a teacher, but I didn't like the way that they were teaching kids. They were trying to seclude kids into other classrooms, which I didn't, Mm. I didn't agree with. I think they should be in a classroom just like any normal kid could be. That's, they're obviously, their social cues are not there. So let's make them there, you know? So it kind of like irritated me a little bit that that's how they wanted to, you know, treat kids. And I got out of the program because I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. But now since I've gotten my degree, I've gotten stuff under my belt. Now I want to try to do what I dreamed about with special ed kids and make a program where kids can come and run track. Or my main thing was teach kids playground games. I'm not sure why, but it was because I remember there was the special ed kids could not come to the recess because we were there and they never learned the games that I played, like handball and, you know, tag and all this stuff. And that's what I, I don't know. I just dreamed of, you know, teaching um, little kitties on sports and stuff. Okay. So right now someone comes to your social media. We talked about your extensive following. We're like at 350,000 people. They see an Olympian uh, who just made this really big announcement by the time this episode comes out. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you, Tara? I see a badass chick who's just dealt with just crazy amounts of situations. And I've pushed myself to get to this point. And kid you not, a year ago, I would not be looking at myself in a mirror. And so I look at myself and I was like, you made it. And you're here and you're doing what you want to do, not what someone's forcing you to do. Will you tell us why? Why? You wouldn't look in the mirror. Because I didn't like who I was. I didn't like who, I didn't like my skin. I didn't like what I was. And I just would avoid all mirrors. (laughs) I was like, nah. Uh, Well, I look at you and I see like this budding, vibrant, beautiful young woman who, as we kind of got into before, like so many other young women are going to look at you and be like, I can do this too. And that in itself is emotional and special and exciting. And I'm super stoked to continue to follow along with your journey. Thank you so much. If you are going out for a run, are you a music listener or a podcast listener? And if it's music, what's your go-to track right now? It's definitely music. And it's definitely something with Billie Eilish. Um, I'm a huge, huge Billie Eilish fan. Like, huge. I own a lot of Billy merch and I will listen to her on repeat. Someone will hear that and they'll be like, that's not necessarily always like an amp up vibe though. (laughs) No, no, it's not. And it is for me. (laughs) (laughs) I love this for you. And then the second thing I'm asking all the guests this week is in light of your new collab in your new partnership, your new global ambassadorship, what is your go-to piece of Lululemon gear? 
Oh, the Align pants. Yes, they are so soft and they are just so lovely. But inside scoop, the new Sensenet fabric. Oh my gosh. It's being released. <laughs> it is so nice. We've tested and it's approved, stamped by Tara and Hunter. It's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect for anybody who wants to do yoga running. It keeps you all in place and so nice. No jiggle, jiggle. No jiggles. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Right now, you have an opportunity. You are so vulnerable and candid about what you went through uh, struggling with your mental health. You have an opportunity to offer yourself a piece of advice going through that hurdle moment, knowing what you know now. What advice do you tell yourself? It's not advice. It's a statement. And it's there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And there is. And like I promise you there is. And if you just keep going and you just keep moving – you're going to get to that light and there is going to be a whole new world for you. I personally did not believe that until I saw it. And I was like, are you kidding? This is what I missed out on. I missed out on being happy and joyful and it's exhausting being sad. And I was like, wow, this is so much fun. Like life is so much more clear and more enjoyable. And if you can just keep on pushing, like you're going to get through it. So excited that we were able to make this happen. Tara, how do the hurdlers keep up with you? How do they follow along with you on your journey? Give us your info. Yes, you guys can follow me on Instagram. It's at underscore T-A-A-R-R-A underscore. I know it's annoying, but it's just, <laughs> they wouldn't let me change it. <laughs> and then you can catch Hunter and I on YouTube with just Tara and Hunter. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Twitter's Tara, Tara, T-A-R underscore underscore. Watch out, she might clap back. I, I will clap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.